0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. I'm going to speak about having spiritual sight or spiritual insight tonight. Okay, so it's very important, especially here in the West we're living in a very intellectual environment, we're living in a consumer environment, and so many of us grow up in sort of a dualistic type of lifestyle. It means that we have a natural world and a spiritual world. Well, if you speak to Victoria and Lerado and some of these people, that members of the church, and you ask them, you know, tell us what's going on in Kaimandi and places like that, then they'll tell you like, hey, uh, the spiritual world is actually very connected to the natural world. It's not two different worlds. Um, and yet our, the system in which we grow up is like, almost like you have this natural world, you go to work, you go to school, you go to varsity, and then you have these spiritual events or these spiritual experiences. But it's not, it's not like that. That's why many of the African cultures and Eastern cultures are much more biblically um, aligned than the Western culture. And that's why you can see so many people are struggling with depression in Europe and stuff because they, they, they're saying there is no spiritual world. But scripture is very clear that there's a spiritual world and that spiritual world is alive. (laughs) And that spiritual world has got an impact on your life because primarily if you've come to know Jesus, you are a spirit being. And you've been made in the image of God. And so a lot of things that happen to you every day has got a spiritual impact and there's spiritual stuff that surrounds us. It's not just... Like, hey, by chance, per tufal, you know, there's nothing to follow with the Lord, there's nothing to valid with the Lord, okay? It just doesn't happen by chance. God is moving and God is doing stuff. So, as we went up, you know, we had some funny moments, but it wasn't funny at the time. Um, so, we got to this, to Delhi, and so the guy who organized everything with us, so I, I realized in his voice that an evening when we landed there that he's a bit tense, but he didn't tell me anything. So, next morning we have like this little bus and we're going to drive up from Delhi to Nepal. It's very different than what we know the roads and that stuff. I think we drove 1,500 kilometers. That's from here to between Bloemfontein and Johannesburg, which will normally take you, what, about 10 or 11 hours? It took us more than 50 hours just to drive that 1,500 kilometers. So, it's a different scenery and a different route, but now that morning, he got into the bus, and, um, and I realized he was a bit tense, and, and he just said the following to me. He said, um, I have to tell you something. But now, when I woke up the morning, the Lord said to me, trust me. And normally, when the Lord says that to you, you realize there's big trouble coming, <laughs> you know? <laughs> this isn't. <laughs> if the Lord says, trust me, you know, it's like almost jumping over the cliff, and you know there's going to be no, it's going to be free fall for a while, you know? <laughs> so I realized he's a bit tense, and so the reason for that is because of, connections with this group that we connect with they reach out to a lot of people and and tribes that you cannot reach out to it's it's illegal and stuff and one of the missionaries was killed a week ago by one of these tribes on on the islands with a bone arrow because there's still lots of people tribes like that cannibal tribes um that has not been reached with the gospel in especially these areas and so this guy could not go with us and um because of His connections there, and they found a journal on this missionary's body that sort of connected him and all that stuff. Um, So he wasn't allowed to go out of the country. But now as we got into the bus the morning, 8.30, we're driving, and now he tells me the following. He says to me, I can't go with you anymore, but the Lord is with you now we've never driven this road up there from Delhi to this place and so the next stop is when he gets off because I realise he's just got his little bag with him he hasn't got all his luggage with him so he gets off here's the eight of us sitting with the Indian driver that doesn't stand to understand a word of English what he does he says okay I say how long okay that's the only English he understands you know so I realized okay that's why the Lord said trust me you know? So we got onto this bus, and you can t- talk to some of the team members, just, oh, God, God, literally, we got, we're two hours late for the border, or, you know, and then we drove over a train bridge. I didn't, still don't know what happened there. But eventually, they opened up the, the border post just for us to get through. Two hours after that, on a Friday night, you can't believe, you know? So just God's favor, because God said, hey, you're going to go. But that's not the story I want to tell. So we got to this place eventually, and the Lord said, hey, he's gonna open up, he's gonna show us some stuff, going back to the roots to rebuild the ruins and to break the barrenness. So we didn't, that was just the word of God he gave us. So eventually when we ended up, it's just this profound moment where we met with this lady and her husband was the first Christian that was jailed in Nepal in 1951. And for eight years, he preached the gospel for eight, the first set of his imprisonment was eight years long. And so this lady stands there, she and her daughter, just profound, amazing people. And now you sit and talk to this lady and you say, okay, you had five kids all under the age of six, very small kids, your husband is in jail for eight years for preaching the gospel. How did you survive? She tells us the story of how she would sneak up to the jail. She couldn't get into the jail, but the kids were small enough to actually go through and, and sneak in and go, you know, to go actually through, through the bars. And then the kids would go and visit dad in jail, just in the dark room. And how they ministered the gospel and share the love of Christ. And how they never had a lack of food, but how it was such a privilege for them to stand for the gospel in Nepal. And now she's moved down to this place where the specific pastor is just to see what God is doing in this nation because they're training so many people and sending them out as pastors. And it's just a privilege and an honor. Because she said that's what's happening now is what she saw in 1951 when her husband was in jail for so many years. And that kept her going. Why? Because she had spiritual insight of what was, what was going to come. That, that's, what make, made us <laughs> that's what made her stand. That's what made her go through all those tough years with just her and her kids and her husband being in jail. And so it's, it's so amazing when you and I as Christians realize that God has perfected the story, is finished the story, but it means that you and I need to tune in to what he is saying and step away from just the natural and, and not just, Take stuff every day as it is and try to think this is just the intellectual pursuit. There's a kingdom of God. And there's, there's such amazing things that God wants us to tap into, but he wants your spiritual eyes to be open and he wants my spiritual eyes to be open to see. I told this story last week, Sunday, and, and I think this morning, I can't remember, but the first time when we went to Nepal is when there was a ceasefire for 13 days or 12 days. And the Lord told us, one of the people in the team had a dream to go there. Said, okay, we need to go, but for this date. So we booked the tickets for 12 days. And it was a war, a civil war, in the Hindu kingdom. There was no way of Christianity or even Christians, nobody even went there. So we booked the tickets by faith to get the visas, because you get visas like on arrival, but everybody just said, there's no way you're gonna go, you can't even get onto the plane. But six months before the time, we booked the visas for that specific date for 12 days that the Lord told us in a dream. And it's amazing. A week before we were going to leave, a ceasefire was announced. That started a day before you would arrive, and it ended a day after we arrived. And so we went into Nepal. We walked around the palace every day, prayed around the palace. Said, God, there's a kingdom that cannot be shaken but this kingdom will fall. A year later, that kingdom fell. And so the amazing thing is now we went back now and we said, God, we want to go back. We want to see what you've done. So this Indian pastor comes up to us after there was this like conference. He comes up and with tears in his eyes and says to me, do you know, I want to tell you the most amazing thing. In the same year, 2007, the Lord told us to take a team to go and for seven days march around the palace every day and pray exactly the same scriptures that the Lord gave you from India seven times around the palace, and say open up the gates for the king of glory wants to come in isn't that amazing that people from all across the world I wonder how many teams actually went and just in relay ten years ago prayed for that nation everybody and so we, it was, we were just so excited because we realized like lord we're just doing this small thing but you're aligning because god's kingdom is coming i mean like thank you for your enthusiasm so i'm very excited i've got a bit of jet lag so i'm going to preach till 12 o'clock because i'll only wake up at one okay so ephesians 1 we've been doing stuff on ephesians in the morning services if you've missed it you have really missed out okay sorry you've missed the opportunity for six weeks Pastor George is ending this coming Sunday in the morning where we're working through the book of Ephesians in the morning. It's a profound book. It's, it's, it will change your life, especially when you understand the value of the church and the fullness of the church. And so I want to start with a prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians chapter one. And we're gonna pray it over each other. And we prayed it in the morning service, but we're gonna just look at it quickly again. So in Ephesians he talks about our position in Christ and this amazing inheritance that we have when we seed it with Christ in heavenly places. So if we minister from that place, that you and I, we're not just normal beings, we have an identity in God. That's what we did the whole series in the evening about. But then we also have an authority in Christ. And your authority in Christ only flows out of your identity in Christ. The fact that you're in Christ. It's not because, oh, hey, we're this great people shouting a lot and making a lot of noise. There's a spiritual authority, and the spiritual realm recognizes your spiritual authority. And so Paul writes, and he, and he prays a couple of prayers through Ephesians, but he starts with this one, and he says, hey, there's a lot of blessing, a lot of stuff, but let's read there in verse 17. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may. This is now he's praying. Now he sort of tells us what he's praying. He says two things that he prays, that God may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Say, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And then the second thing is that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. Say that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. So, so he's, he's, he's talking about a lot of stuff, over a lot of Identity in Christ and stuff, but he says, Hey, this can't be head knowledge. He says, I'm I'm gonna pray for you, and I'm praying this specific prayer that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom is much more than knowledge, knowledge is just a lot of facts, but wisdom means knowledge rightly applied in every situation. That's why Solomon says, Hey, pray for wisdom. Pray for one thing that God, that, that you will have not just a bunch of knowledge, but you actually have wisdom. How do I apply the scripture in my daily life? How do I live out? That's a wise person. And wisdom and discernment is, is sort of the, the pillars of the fear of God. If you really want to know the fear of God in your life, you need to have wisdom and, and, and discernment, the ability to see. So we're talking a bit about this discernment, this ability to see, this, the ability to have spiritual insight. So this is what Paul prays. He says, I pray for these two things that you have, that God will give you that spirit of wisdom and revelation. I don't know if you've sometimes read the Bible and you, you know, you've read the story like 20 times from when you were like a teenager or from when you were 10 years old. And then suddenly the scripture just like, jumps out at you. You think like, whoa, I've never seen that then it's not just knowledge, it's not just the Logos, it's not just a written word, it actually becomes revelation word to you. Because you know, we, you have the Logos, the written word, and you learn a lot from that. But when you walk in revelation, it means like you can actually see. It's like, wow. You remember the story of, of Stephen Lunger's wife that would um, say she had a vision of, of, of heaven. And for the first 24 hours, they had to actually bind, as she was in the hospital, she, she was in a semi-coma, she saw heaven open up, and for the first 24 hours, they had to bind her hands to the bed of the hospital because they, she would like lift up her hands and pull out all the stuff because all she said is, wow, wow, when she saw heaven. That's all she said for 24 hours nonstop. And when she came out there, she said she saw so many colors in heaven that doesn't exist on earth. She just said, wow, and then she would like, wow, you know, and then she'd pull out all the stuff, so eventually they had to bind their hands to the hospital bed, because suddenly that's revelation is the ability to have a visitation or a vision of God. Now, there's not a lot of people in Scripture that had a vision of God. Isaiah was one of them in Isaiah chapter 6. He saw the Lord high and lifted up, Yeah, so the ability to see God is is so important for every Christian and this is what Paul is praying he says I pray that you'll have the wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him so that it's not just a lot of stuff you do a lot of stuff that you see but it's in the knowledge of knowing him the revelation of who he is but with that I pray that the eyes of your understanding your spiritual eyes will be enlightened will be opened up so that you can see Because God doesn't want Christians just to live and walk through this life and try the Christian experience. He wants you to see. And so when you have these the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so if if you want to pray, pray scripture. Pray this over yourself. It's not a selfish prayer. It's a good prayer to pray over yourself. Say, God, grant to me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, open up the eyes of my understanding that I can see. So that I can know you. That I might know you because the result of that is to know God it's not to do a lot of things for him it's to know God are, are you with me and so what will happen when these things do he says three things that you might know this you might know God but then that you might also know what are, are the hope of his calling so what is the hope of his calling there's a hope of the fact that God has called you this is not a mere just life that you're trying to exist like mr. bean who who you know. Oh, you know, I'm trying to, you know. It's not a Mr. Bean lifestyle. There's a hope of his calling. It's an anchor of your soul. He says, I I want you to know that you're called, you're commissioned. You're not passing just through this life, Mr. Bean style. You're a child of God. And there's a hope. There's an anchor that you have. That when the storms come, when the stuff comes, like this little lady in Nepal, she says, eight years. I sat without a husband with five children, but I had a hope of calling. God said that every minute in that prison it's going to be an eternal inheritance. And now 60 years later, she's seeing that. She's sitting with that vision she saw and she's just sitting there with a smile and said, God has been faithful all 60 years. Everything God showed them that time when he went to prison is happening right now in that nation. You think like, okay, wow. Now when you go and read the book of Hebrews, when he talks about faith, it is amazing. God talks about that faith of people that saw the promise afar of off. They embraced the promise. They took ownership of the promise. But the promise never manifested in their lives. That's why I've got a problem with the prosperity gospel. It's not biblical. Because if God shows you something, it will at least take three generations for it to happen. If it's really a vision from God. Because the fathers of the faith, most of them that saw, they never saw it happen in the natural. Abram, look at the stars. That's going to be your offspring. And here you and I are sitting today because of a promise God made. And God said, Abram, look. Moses, promised land. He never went into the promised land, but he saw it. The ability to see. I'm talking about the eyes of our understanding opening up. But if you live in a consumer environment, then you want it and you want it now. God, if I don't get it now, but most of the things of God is eternal. I mean, when God even works in your life right now, he's doing stuff that will have an effect in your children's children's life. And they're going to say, hey, Grandpa Henry was a man of the God's heart. That uh, Grandpa Christoph, he had big shoulders, but sure, he had a big heart. And it's not even about gymming. So, He says, what is the hope of his calling? The second thing, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? God has got an inheritance in the saints. The riches of his glory, it's his glory manifesting through you and I. And then the third thing he says is what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? Whoa, what a mouthful. (laughs) We can spend 10 hours just on those three things. What is the hope of his calling? He says, I I pray when you walk in this wisdom and this revelation and your spiritual eyes begin to open up, you're gonna know the hope of your calling. You're gonna know the, the inheritance, the riches of his glory. God wants to manifest his glory through the church. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to individuals. Through the church, I want to manifest my glory to the earth. And I've got an inheritance. I've put a seed in the church. I've put my spirit in on the church. I've put my spirit in your life. It's like an error born, a down payment, a deposit of things to come. And the church is going to be victorious. The church is going to stand up. And then what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards you and I who believe? Whoa. The power of God at work in us. It's not it's it's not by might it it's not by our own strength it's about the holy spirit working in us and then then he goes on He says, in the same power which he worked in Christ, verse 20, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He says, he's given us that authority as the church. So rise church, stand up. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Isn't that what Isaiah prophesied many years before Paul, Paul wrote this? So now I want to take us to a story in the Old Testament that will sort of challenge us a little bit. Is that all right? Are you, are you all still awake? Some people are like in a holiday spirit, just like, oh, okay, this is too much for me. Hallelujah. Well, wait, we haven't even started. Second Kings 6, verse 18 to 17, Okay. I'm just planting a seed in your heart. So I'm trusting. I know most of you are thinking of, of holiday, but that's why, especially in times like this, or some like you are writing tomorrow, that's all right. But hey, there are, there's a spiritual inheritance. And even in this holiday, don't walk away from that and settle for things in the flesh when you can settle for things in the spirit. You have a choice. Either I'm gonna do stuff in the flesh or I'm gonna do it in the spirit. And so, so here we have this, set up with the the follow, follower of Elijah which is Elisha a prophet in the Old Testament and it is a profound story you must go and read it it's just, it's one of those scary stories and just like you know it throws the axe and it floats on the water and there's a lot of stuff and and how this one man had spiritual insight but not everybody around him had spiritual insight so he prayed for that and this is the story that we're catching up Second Kings 6. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God, that's now Elisha, sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down here. And then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria, the enemy of Israel, God's people, was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to him, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? So he thought like somebody else, there's an insider here. Because somebody else, every time I want to move to attack Israel, every time when I get there, I'm outwitted. So there's somebody in the camp that's telling somebody, we've got an insider, there's a spy here. That's not what the king of Syria says. Will you not show me which of us for the king of Israel? Now verse 12. And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> so he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he is in Tothan. So, so the king realizes, okay, there is some trouble here because Israel is the small little kingdom Syria is this massive army, but every time they're outwitted. it. And now he realizes there's a source. There's one man in there that I need to take out because he's like an insider. He's got some like spiritual insight and we need to take him out. Verse 14, therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, a great army. And they came by night, surrounded the city, this whole city that Elisha was in. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, alas my master (laughs) what shall we do so here comes the servant goes out he just wants to get water or something and then suddenly he sees like this massive massive army just all around and he realizes like trouble big trouble okay big trouble not not even you know spider-man can get us out of this alas my master what shall we do so verse 16 so he answered do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with him. what a statement to make. Elijah says like, don't be afraid because those who are with us, now it's just the two of them. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And I I think if I was that servant, I would have probably said, he's gone nuts. He's, He's lost it. All of his marbles gone long ago. No more marbles left. All the pigs are not there. Their pigs have been slaughtered. Renown has eaten them. They've been exported. Gone. He's lost his mind. Because it's just the two of us in this little place. (laughs) And we're hiding in this little place. So, whoa. (laughs) Verse 17, and Elisha prayed. Say, and Elisha prayed. And said, Lord, I pray, (laughs) open his eyes that he might see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire, all around Elisha. Full of horses and chariots of fire; chariots were burning. Like, hey, You've seen some of these movies, like, whew, these old movies that all the chariots were burning. So, around him, suddenly this young guy, this that's connecting with the prophet, just seems like, whoa. There's this massive army, but there's a big army around. And then you can go and read the story. Then this army comes closer, and then Elisha prays, say, Lord, I strike them with blindness. Then everybody, this whole army gets blind. Blinded. Nobody can see. So then Elisha goes out and he tells them, Oh, the man that you're looking for, he's not over here, he's over there. Just come and follow me. Now he now he takes this whole army that are blind, they can't see, takes them right into Israel's camp. And says to the Israel king, look here. Now imagine the king of Israel looking onto the scene and here comes this whole army with Elisha, following Elisha, and they're all blind. And when he prays again, their eyes open up and suddenly they're captive by Israel. (laughs) And then the king says, should I kill them? Should I kill them? And then he says, no, 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 just make a massive feast for them. Just give them food. And so he gives this whole army food and they all go back home and they live happily ever after. That nation never attacks Israel again, you know. So it's this crazy story, yeah. But it is such a profound story because it's a turn after Elijah prayed. You know, you know the story of Elijah. You can go read in First Kings eighteen, and then Elisha gets a double portion of Elijah. But Elisha moved in such a place and at such a moment because he could see spiritually. So imagine you're surrounded by the greatest stuff in your life or the greatest Syrian army. And then most of us will run and say, "Oh Lord, please just protect us." <laughs> but our prayer should actually change. Lord, open our spiritual eyes to see. And that's the story of the Bible. If you have not noticed, Paul and Silas is in the prison. Most of us would pray, Lord, please take us out of the prison. Please deliver us. We're trapped in this prison. And all they do is they go on their knees and they worship God and say, God, you are great. You are awesome. We've seen you. We know that you have a plan and we submit to your kingdom, which is so much greater. Then God opens up the prison doors. Most people just want to run out, but Paul and Silas then just praise for the prison orders and lead some people to Christ, have a nice evangelism outreach while all the doors are open and the whole person almost gets saved. But see, that is what spiritual people do. They don't look at stuff just in the natural. Sure. But unfortunately, the church in the West, we've become so consumer-orientated that we just look in the natural. And the devil lies to us about our spiritual eyes and our spiritual inheritance. And you have a spiritual inheritance which is Eternal. And you and I have to decide every day whether we're going to lock into that inheritance or we're going to settle for second best, which is an earthly inheritance. Whoa. But God is raising up a generation. It is so amazing. When we even went to Nepal and India, it is so crazy. We met some people there that they just say, hey, we're like an Esther. we've, We've been called for a time as this. Everybody else sees that. But you know, God uses a group of people, a Joshua and a Caleb, that when the other spies, you know, when they go into the promised land, do you know what they see? They just, they just see giants. When they come, when those 12 spies come back and they report of what they saw in the promised land, they say, we just see giants. We, we, we see ourselves as grasshoppers in their eyes and, and, and the way that they look at us we are so intimidated by what's happening around us but there are two people two spies that come out Joshua and Caleb see we see a land flowing with milk and honey and built that's what I added I mean okay and then God says okay do you know what I can take people like that because in those in those promised land was massive giants but only two people could see and then it's amazing they go around in the wilderness that whole generation that couldn't see dies in the, that generation but the two people that saw the way God opened up their eyes because they had a hunger and we can look at that now. Now, they saw what God saw they saw the promises and they realized like hey I'm a small part of what God is doing but I want that inheritance we want to walk into that it's amazing Caleb 40 years later, they go into the wilderness all around and then Joshua can go and read it. The first time when they come back again to that place, Caleb says the following. He says, I'm stronger now than what I was the first time when I got here. Now that's when everybody dies around them that couldn't see. Even Moses couldn't see. That's why God had to say to Joshua, Joshua, be strong and courageous, guy. Because Joshua probably thought like, sure, Moses is this great leader and I'm sort of standing in his shadow, but now... And then God opened up his eyes, and he could see. But I love that spirit that Joshua and Caleb they just said, we, we could see. And so when 40 years later, imagine going in the wilderness for 40 years, coming back to the same point, and then you say like, I'm stronger now than what I was the first time when I saw what God showed me here. I'm stronger because I had an excellent spirit. I had a spirit that was focusing on what God said. And there's many Christians that give up today. They, don't, they just want to say, hey. And that's what consumerism will do. Consumerism will tell you, if I don't get it now, I'm not satisfied. But, but when your spiritual eyes open up, you can go like Joshua. Or then we can take David. You know, David coming there on the scene with his brothers. Firstly, David wasn't even chosen as king. His father didn't even recognize him as maybe being part of that king. Or having an option of being that king. He, the father just lined up the other brothers. These big men. And David was probably this size, half a meter shorter than me, Yeah, red eyes, a red spritta. What is spritter? Sprites, you know, here like this, just out there, this wild little boy out there with these sprites on his face and all over the place. The father didn't line up. Now Samuel comes in and says like, is there another son here? Because God doesn't see what you see. The way you look, father, there's, 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 there's something missing here. It's not him. And the father says, "Oh yeah, yeah. I've, 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 oh yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got one day in the field. Let's call him." Then he calls him, and he says, Samuel says, "This, this is, this is the one." Eventually, David goes up. The Philistine army are standing there. Goliath is standing there. Saul is hiding. Now, Saul was the biggest guy in the Israel army. He was tall, strong. Like built like coral, just three meters higher, you know, with all these muscles, just the strong guy, you know. And he was hiding in his tent. And here comes little David, comes and he comes to his brother and says, What's happening here? Why is this uncircumcised Philistine take, talking all this stuff? And now David's older brother says to him, Who are you? You're illegitimate. You're so arrogant. Look at you. That you would come here, you small boy. And then David says, Is there not a cause? It's it's this whole Israel falling to the ground and they have not seen God's promises. He goes to Saul and Saul tries to put on his armor and eventually he goes like, oh no. And then he goes to the brook, this little stream, and he picks up stones, little stones. We all know the story. And he didn't just pick up one because if you read the scripture correctly, it wasn't just Goliath. Goliath had some bigger brothers as well. So David didn't just kill one, he killed all the bigger other giants as well. But when he runs up, I just, I just, This is one of the things I'm going to ask Uncle David when I get to heaven. Take me to that conversation you had with God at that little brook, picking up those little stones. And this was probably the conversation. Lord, open my eyes to see who you really are. Open my eyes to see how big you are in relation to this little Goliath standing here. So eventually, after he got to that brook and he comes up and he runs against Goliath, he says the following words. He says, I don't come to you in my own strength, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, of the host of the armies of heaven. And surely you're going to die. And I'm going to cut off your head to make sure that you're really dead. That's just my own words. But you are going to die today. Because at that little brook, David saw how big his God is. And then he came against this little Goliath in the name of that God. But that's the story of the Bible. I mean, that's the story of ordinary people see how big their God is. And then they could run up against whatever came. But it wasn't their own strength. It wasn't because of performance. It was because they walked and lived by revelation knowledge of who God is. And that's the same place. If you go and study the disciples of how God moved with the disciples at a stage, the turning point of Jesus with his disciples was an amazing moment. You find it in Matthew. And so the people are murmuring. There's a lot of stuff and I need to end because I'm way off track right now. But now what happens is right there, Jesus stands and he turns to his disciples and he says, okay, Peter, let's have a conversation. Who do the people say that I am? And then they say, Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist that got raised from the dead. There's a lot of rumors going around of what the people and who the people say that you are. And then I can just see in Jesus' eyes, he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, but who do you say that I am? And then the profound words come. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus almost stands back and he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I've given you the keys of the kingdom. And on this revelation, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And whatever you bind on the earth shall be bound. And whatever you loose shall be loosed. I'm going to give you a spiritual authority. You're going to move in a way that you have not seen. But it's not by flesh and blood. It's not by mere just little talk here or little philosophy here. It's because you've moved by revelation. You've seen. And from that moment on, Jesus begins to talk about the cross for the first time. Because he couldn't take his disciples if they didn't recognize first who he was. You know, even Jesus' brother did not recognize who he was. It was only after the resurrection that his own brother recognized. So that's good news for some of us that have got family, family members that sort of tries to just deal in the natural or that aren't saved, just keep on speaking over their lives what God says. <laughs> keep on praying. Because <laughs> sometimes the revelation, the revelation takes a while, but when it comes, it's going to come. And it's going to be profound. <laughs> but there's some of us, even sitting here today, we, we have a religious experience with God you've not seen, and then just ask God, say, pray like Paul prays. Because that's what Paul prays. Say, God, give me, a, in this holiday season, give me the spirit of wisdom. Open up the eyes of my understanding to see. Like Elisha prayed yeah, Lord, I pray open his eyes that he might see. We're gonna pray that over each other now, now. Last slide, then we finish with the introduction and then we can start preaching. Amen, like a like, okay. Matthew 5, verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see, we can talk a lot And that's why you cannot have your relationship with God through the church or through another believer or through YouTube clips or whatever. You must walk in a relationship with God and trust that the Holy Spirit will be the spirit of wisdom and understanding and revelation and might and counsel and knowledge and fear of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord. Isaiah 11 verse 2 talks about the seven folded spirit. So the Holy Spirit wants to lead you in truth and bring you to a place of revelation. Where you say, well, I'm not just an ordinary natural being, I'm a spiritual being. But there's some requirements for us to walk in that place. And so Jesus taught this on the mount. And one of those things that he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. There's another scripture later on that says, without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. So it's connected to this one. Holiness is a prerequisite to be able to see God. And that unfortunately for the charismatic church and the church in the West, there's a lot of people that doesn't preach holiness at all anymore. And let me tell you, they can't see God. Not judging them, the word is judging them. If you just preach a grace gospel of how nice it is and all the benefits of the gospel, but you don't talk about sanctification and holiness, people cannot see God. Because God, in essence, his nature is holy. His nature is not love. His heart is love. His nature is holiness. Amen? So to see who God is as a holy God, you and I need to submit to a process of becoming holy. It's called sanctification. And that's why there will be tough times. That's why, like these people in Nepal, you can ask all the questions, but they ended up in jail for eight years. You can say, but God, why didn't you just deliver them from the jail? Because God had a bigger plan. It's to work in them so that he can work through them. And now 60 years later, they see that plan. A whole nation has changed because of one man and one woman's obedience. That's the story of the gospel. So what is a pure heart? A pure heart is a clean, clear, pure heart with no idols. It's called a circumcised heart. God wants to circumcise your heart. Praise God. Can all the men say, not Old Testament. Amen. (laughs) Okay? Gone with this circumcision of the flesh. We've gone to this circumcision of the heart, but that's much tougher. (laughs) So what is a circumcised heart? It's a heart that is wholly surrendered to Him. Not somebody that's perfect, not somebody that's been there, bought the t-shirt, become critical or negative. It's just a heart that is so hungry and surrendered to God. Say, like, God, I haven't arrived. I have got no clue. It's like when this guy at the in India, in Delhi, we're stopping. He said to me, we're not going again. I'm not going with you. He stopped 10 minutes later, got out of the bus, and this was his words. These were his words. Enjoy the trip. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking like, we're going to die. We have got no clue. We've never been there. Oh, trust the Lord. Yeah, that's not easy to say, you know. (laughs) Then your whole flesh wants to manifest. But now the team is there and I'm the pastor and the pastor is always perfect. So I'm just sitting there, I'm thinking like, when's the next stop? When can we get off? Go home go straight home, don't even pass by Begin, don't pass by Delhi, just go straight home, you know? Because then everything inside of you says, yeah, it's easy for you to say to trust, you don't know, you know? Now we're sitting in this little trip and all the Indian driver just says, "Is okay. And I say, okay, okay, no, okay, you know? Everything inside of me wants to manifest because here we're on our own, hallelujah. And now you have to decide, Lord, what have you got to say about this situation? And he says, no, I've already told you this morning, trust me. Okay, I'll repent. (laughs) Lord, it's difficult to trust you when I'm not in control. And so here we're on a bus for 1,500 kilometers, 50 hours into the mountains with an Indian driver that doesn't stand two words, just one word of English. And the one border of the other opens up. Told you the story. We get to the second part. We go over this river in this little train bridge. Get to the other side. The Indian guy comes out. Then the other people come out. We get to this police stop. And the guy says, where's your visas? We say, oh, we don't have visas. He says, go back. Go back to the office. We get there. It's closed. Nothing. Nobody. Talk. And then two guys arrive. They open up the border post for us <laughs> to give us our visas on a Friday night two and a half hours later and you say okay Lord you've got a plan we trust you have you ever heard of people on a Friday night opening up an immigration office for people to go through on a Friday night two and a half hours later without a bribe in Africa they do it for a bribe I mean (laughs) The second part of that scripture, for they shall see God. Oh, I love this. But this isn't see. This isn't isn't like, oh, I saw the friend walking on the other side. Blessed are the pure in heart. And this is the promise. For they shall see. Their spiritual eyes will open up and they'll gaze into heaven. Their eyes will be wide open to see something remarkable. That's what revelation knowledge is about. That's what spiritual insight is about. It's not just sight. It's not just a little vision or an observation that I make. My whole life is transformed because I've beheld him. I've seen his plans. And part of what God is restoring in the church is his prophetic voice. His prophetic is the ability to foretell. If I prophesy over somebody's life, I have the ability to foretell, Not fortune tell, forth the will of God because I've seen, I've connected with God's heart. That's why intercession is so amazing. That's why prayer is so amazing because we can say, okay, Lord, we're marching around this little palace 2007, seven times, and we have got no clue, but all we have is an obedience to you and your word, and we speak it, and we pray around. Sometimes we have to be quiet like in Joshua. (laughs) Just say, are you gonna mess it up if you're gonna talk about what you actually see now? Just be quiet, and after the seventh day, then tell, say, (laughs) but they walked in Revelation, a whole nation. God had to wait for a new generation to stand up because the older generation, the problem with Moses, do you know what was the problem? Moses' flesh got in the way because the first time God comes to the rock and they're in the wilderness and God says, strike the rock and Moses strikes this rock and the water comes out. Amazing, the whole nation is filled, lots of water. They all drink from the rock. The second time around, God says to Moses, Moses, I've got a problem. I don't want you to strike the rock. I want you to speak to the rock and water will come out. And you know what happens? Moses is frustrated. Moses operates in his flesh and he strikes the rock again. And water comes out. The the supernatural comes. And God says to him, sorry, Moses. Do you know what? In the promised land, you're not going to make it. Because there's going to be a Jericho and you're going to need to march around that Jericho for seven days without speaking a word. And if you lose that temper, if you lose that anger, if you get up into the flesh and you don't walk by revelation, what's going to happen is you're going to probably strike Jericho's walls and then everything, all my plans are not going to come to pass. So Moses, I love you very much, but you're going to stay behind. You and a whole generation are going to stay behind. But I'm going to raise up Joshua. And Joshua's going to go in because Joshua's going to learn from this. So God wasn't angry with Moses, just Moses missed it. We don't like to talk about it, but Moses missed it big time. God says, I love you, Moses. You saw it. He even showed him the promised land, but he says, Moses, you can't go. I'm going to need to raise up another generation because my plans will come to pass. And then Joshua goes. Joshua goes in and Caleb goes in into the promised land. And so there's an invitation. You and I have a choice. Every day of our lives. And the amazing thing is, is I'm so excited because God is raising up a new generation, a generation that can see. But it's only the pure in heart. Blessed are they, for they shall see. Blessed are the pure in heart. Not the perfect in heart, not the people that have arrived and know all the knowledge and have read the scriptures 400 times. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see the Lord. So we're gonna take communion together and then we're gonna pray for each other. And we're going to pray that prayer, that even in this holiday time, and I know a lot of you, I said to the Lord, Lord I don't want to speak about this stuff. This is the type of stuff you talk about in the beginning of the year. <laughs> and he says, no, my word doesn't change. Because even tonight, there's a lot of people sitting here or watching on the streaming. Lots of people are streaming in from Germany and all that other places. We have a choice. Are you going to rest in God or are you going to rest in your flesh? But there's a group of people that are so hungry for God, they say, God, we want to see. And when God opens your eyes, it's a scary place sometimes. It's not just an easy place because there comes a responsibility with that. But the Bible says God does nothing unless he reveals it to his prophets first. And that's why the scripture is so beautiful. God would like re- raise up prophets and prophetic people, people that can see. And that what prophecy is about is the foretelling of the will of God. The spirit of prophecy in our midst is where God speaks something over somebody's life and that person is so far removed from the natural. They're just so way off. And then God says, you're not Simon, you're Peter. Simon, uh uh-uh. Then he comes to call Nathaniel and Nathaniel sits there under the fig tree and he says to him, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And God says, what? What? I wonder what conversation he had with God under the fig tree. And Jesus just walked straight up into his life and says, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. So lucky there in in Nepal, we reached out to this village. I actually, Liam, (laughs) I said to Liam, Liam, you're going to preach the gospel today, but just remember, you can already get into jail for this. He looks at me and says, thank you for that encouragement. Because it's illegal to preach the gospel there. Ask Richard. So sometimes it's going to cost you. So we walked up to this place and this first group just rejects us like completely. This guy stands up and says, no, we have other religions, all that stuff. But as that's happening, we like singing in the Yamo is the year, da, 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 And we just like, and everybody there rejects us. But the whole group of young people just come along and they, they gather there on their bikes. So we move out to that place and then, then God decides to pull this one guy's file. I love it when God pulls somebody's file. You know what I mean by that? It's just like, God just says, oh, I've made you for a time like this. So just stop. I'm going to tell you some stuff about you. <laughs> so as he's standing there, so he's asking some questions in the next moment. boof, the words of knowledge just come. Oh, you've been dreaming. You're a leader and you've been dreaming about going over the mountains for many years. You feel you need to break out of this place. And then that young guy just stands there. And he says, oh, yes, I've been dreaming. God has put that dream there. Now you have a choice to follow him. I just love it when a plan comes together, when God's plan comes together. Amen. So we walk up around the corner and then the Lord shows us, now there's going to be a guy with a lame hand. Yeah. So we get to this place, the whole gathering, and there is a guy sitting with his left hand that is lame from four years old. Start praying for him for the first time he feels in his hand. Was it perfectly healed? For the first time he feels like he sees this stuff just comes back and he just like feels blood pumping in his veins and stuff. Jesus, thank you. Now we've got everybody's attention. Let's talk about Jesus, the one who can pull your file. So it's just—it's just so amazing when you, as a Christian, can walk in the supernatural. Not because it's weird or anything, but because you can see, and that is your spiritual inheritance—the ability to hear God's voice and the ability to see spiritual things. Don't settle for second best and it's a call but a challenge tonight are you willing to go there thank you for listening remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share